no matter what anybody else calls you or thinks of you or labels you or says about you or thinks of you, God said, don't ever forget. Don't forget Egypt where I brought you out. Don't forget all the process of carrying you. And don't forget that my ultimate intention is to bring you to me. Today's message from Harvest Church of God titled, You're God's Favorite, Pastor Jerry Irwin preaches that God's purpose in creating man was for us to be a worshiper and wanted to dwell with us in peace. After sin entered, God continues to draw us to Him. God will always have His will and His pleasure. The Bible said, and for His pleasure we are created. We are created beings by a God who wills and purposes to have a people that will worship Him. His purpose in creating us is that man will be a worshiper. And everyone that is born of Adam's race is born and designed to worship. Now, choices have to be made then about what we will worship. And choices have to be made as to how we will go about that process of worshiping Him. When God put man in the garden, He intended for man to have a habitation in peace, in uh, relationship with Him. And we find God in the uh, coolness of the day, the Bible says, down on earth, not among angelic beings, but here on earth, fellowshipping with man. He comes down every day, the Bible said, to meet with man. And the Bible said He walked and He talked with uh, man and Eve in the garden. And the Bible said it was God's delight that God really loved fellowship with man. He created him, and God was enjoying what he was created to do. And we know the whole story. There's no need to get into all of that. And the Bible said that what God intended to happen didn't happen. And it didn't happen because man who, ha who was enabled with free moral choice made a bad choice. And when man made a bad choice and disobeyed what God told him to do, then sin entered into the world. The Bible said, by one man's disobedience, sin came into all the world, and death by sin. For the Bible said, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, but every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ that is coming. So we find this dichotomy there by what Adam lost in the garden, man recapitulated in the person of Jesus. And that's called the doctrine of recapitulation. It was first asserted by a man named Irenaeus, who was one of the early church fathers, who put forth that assumption that what we lost in Adam, we regained in the person of the Lord Jesus. So then God's great intention was thwarted by an adversary that we know to be Lucifer, who we know to be Satan, our adversary, the devil, the Bible says, 1 Peter 5 and 8, that he is our adversary. He is our enemy. He is God's enemy. Amen. And he does everything that he can to thwart the will of God by causing God's heart to be broken by the disobedience of man. Man is a, a carnal person. Man is born in sin, the Bible said. Job said, I was born in sin, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So how does God go about 
this transitioning a man who is uh, born in sin to become a, a worshiper and become in fellowship with him. Well, God has many encounters and God has many meetings where he invites and summons people to come and meet with him. The Bible says in Isaiah, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your iniquities be as crimson, they shall be white as snow. Your, your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white like wool. So then God's intention in meeting with us is that we reasonably consider the fact that we need redemption and that we need salvation. And we need to be cleansed of our human condition. In other words, that sin that we inherited from Adam, that inherent sin we call it, or the original sin that brought about the transgression in the beginning, that separated us from God. Sin always divides. Sin always separates. Sin always ostracizes. It puts people apart. It always has. It always will. And the Bible said your sins have separated you and God. They have come between you and God. So we have this great chasm between ourselves and our maker. Our maker longs for fellowship with us. Our maker longs to have uh, intimacy with us. But our sin problem keeps us from having that opportunity to worship our God and fellowship with him as he designed us and hoped we would be. So then we look into this dilemma and God narrows his promise then and he tells, tells Adam, he said, you can't stay in the garden. You've got to leave the garden because no sin can dwell in his presence. Amen. And the Bible said, the soul that sinneth shall surely die. So then there's no way that sin can stay in the presence of God. That's a harsh reality, but it's very true. So God expelled man from the garden. And the Bible said, and, and they went out from the garden. And the Bible said from that day, man had to till the ground and earn his bread by the sweat of his brow. So then we have this situation then where man is estranged from God, but God longs for something and longs for a, a vehicle through which he can mend and bridge that chasm and I know that the Bible tells us that in the foreknowledge and foreordination of God, he knew that what was going to be the situation. And therefore, the Bible said it was foreordained from the foundation of the world that Jesus should die for the ungodly. So that brought about a process of how do we get this redemptive person, this sin bearer, how do we get him into the world? And the Bible said that God and his infinite wisdom sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. The book of John's gospel begins with the same words as the first book of the Bible in the beginning. In the beginning are the first words of the Old Testament, first words of the New Testament. So the New Testament in uh, John, John's gospel says, in the beginning was the word and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So then this Word 
in the 14th verse of, of the first chapter of John's gospel says, And the Word became flesh, and we beheld Him as of the only begotten Son of God. Galatians 4 tells us, In the fullness of time God sent His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, that He might redeem. That He might redeem. That He might redeem all who all of their lifetime were under the bondage of sin. So then God set about this uh, notion with Abraham, and we call it the Abrahamic covenant. When God found Abraham, he was on the backside of Ur, of the Chaldees. He was not a, a knowledgeable of God. God met him there. And you very ironic that you're saying, I am a friend of God. The Bible said Abraham became the friend of God. The friend of God. And God for his own reason, made a covenant with Abraham. And he said, surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee, and I will multiply your seed as the sands of the sea and as the stars of the heaven. Without number I will multiply. And he said, and you, all of the families of the earth, shall be blessed. What a blessing. So Abraham became the covenant person with whom God said, I'm going to bless your family. Now, at this time, God is dealing with a family. In Genesis 12, he said, get up and go to a land where I will show you. And God gave him a promised land, a promised land. But we know that when he got there, he didn't stay there. He left there and went down into Egypt, and then he came back to Canaan. And the Bible tells us that through Abraham's seed, through Abraham's families, and you can trace those families till you get to a time where there is a man named J Jacob, and Jacob has sons, and Joseph was a son. And I told you the story briefly last Sunday about how Joseph was sold into slavery, went down to Egypt. Egypt is always seen as a place of disobedience to God. Egypt is symbolic and metaphorical of all that God opposes and all that God is. Egypt is a place of bondage. Egypt is a place of, of uh, estrangement from God. And the Bible said that the people of God wound up. They went there a family, but after 400 years, they became a nation. Now, what God was saying was, I'm going to send you to Egypt. Egypt is going to become a nest, and I, I know there is a nation in you and I'm going to get it out of you. Wow. How do you know that God did that? Well, let's read just a little bit from Deuteronomy chapter 32. If you have that, Cheryl, 32, verse 9 through 12. For the Lord's portion, verse 9, is his people. His people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land, and in the waste howling wilderness... He led him about. He instructed him, and he kept him as the apple of his eye. Now, that's the way your King James probably uh, reads. If you were to read the NIV, it probably reads, as his own treasured possession. His own treasured possession. So then God has what we've come to know then as his people who are God's own treasured possession. God's people are God's portion. God's people are God's inheritance. God's people are His, He says, apple of His eye. 
That, that word means family. It means, when you look at that word treasured possession, it, uh, it's correctly translated over in Hebrews where the Bible said a peculiar people or a one-of-a-kind people. It implies sonship and it implies children. So it, what it's actually saying, the children of God, the sons of God are his prized, treasured possession. Isn't that great to know God thinks that much of you? One translation said it's his favorite. His favorite. Have you ever said in your family, when calling, talking about your siblings, uh, she was always mama's favorite? Well, he was always daddy's favorite anyway. Every family's got one of those. Yeah. In our family, it's Anthony. Anthony is the favored child. No bones about it. You ask any of the other five, they will all say readily, without hesitation, Anthony. He could get by with anything. Get out of whippings. Get out of grounded. He could work his way out of anything. He could smooth talk my mama into anything. Yeah. And if anybody else ever got on Anthony, buddy, you got told, quick, get off of Anthony. Because everybody know he's the favorite. He's the favorite. Well, how would you like to know that you're God's favorite? How would you in this place like to know today that as a child of God, there is none that he loves any more than you? There is none that he thinks any more of than you. His love is unconditional. It doesn't depend upon anything. It's unconditional. It's not earned. It's not deserved. It's just because he loves you. And every one of you in this house are his favorite. Well, I thought somebody shout about that, darling. Lord, have mercy. If I told you you was the favorite in your family, say, I, I, I'm proud of that. Well, you ought to be proud you're God's favorite. And you ought to think, well, praise God. Thank you, God, for thinking that much of me that there's nobody that's favored above me. Praise God. Isn't that wonderful? And that this treasured possession God says, they shall be a treasured possession for me. So the Lord alone did lead him. As an eagle, verse 11, stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings. So the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. So what God is saying was, I deal with you like an eagle deals with her chicks. I deal with you, I carry you like an eagle carries her offspring. I care for you, I feed you, I provide for you, I take care of you just like an eagle takes care of her young. So if you want to know how God deals with his people, then look at the characteristics of an eagle. I've taught that and preached it many times. The most strange thing about it is that that unborn eaglet, while still in the egg, is called an endu, an endu. And that mother of that eagle will not help that 
chick break its way out of the egg. It's nature's way of culling. Either peck your way out of the shell or die in the egg. Are you kidding me? And you said that's the way God deals with us? That's the way that God carries us? Is like a mother eagle cares for her nest and stirs up her nest? You see, she will do nothing to help an eaglet peck his way out of the shell. But after he pecks his way out of the shell, she will do everything that he becomes all that God intended him to be. Whew. So what's that saying to me? It's saying to me that if I want God, I want fellowship with God, then I've got to peck my way out of the shell. How do you do that? By denying myself and taking up the cross and following Jesus. By repenting, turning away from my sinful past, being converted, turned toward the Lord Jesus and trust him for salvation. When I do that, I've pecked my way out of my shell. That's called pecking your way out of the shell. If you'll do that, repent and be converted and your sins will be blotted out and you shall be saved or you'll become a treasured possession. You'll become a child of God. You'll become a son or a daughter of God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Beloved, now that we are become the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So these these treasured, favored children of God are carried by God on eagle wings. Like an eagle carries its young, the Lord carries us. Now listen to what, what God says to them in Exodus chapter 19. If you'll turn with me over there to Acts, not Acts, but Exodus chapter 19, 3 and 4. And Moses went up unto God. Moses went up to God. Who is this Moses? This Moses is one that was drawn up out of the water. His mother hid him among the bulrushes on the river Nile because there was a Pharaoh that had determined that all babies would die. All Hebrew babies would be killed. Satan has always fought the birth of a deliverer. He has always opposed and schemed and connived to defeat the purpose of God in bringing about a deliverer. Moses was a type in the Old Testament of Jesus, a Savior, a Savior for the people. God will always provide a Savior. God will always provide a deliverer. And the Bible said that the, the mother set little Moses out adrift in that little ark of a basket and the Bible said that when the daughters of the Pharaoh were, were bathing in the waters of the Nile, they heard the baby cry, and they went over and discovered one of the Hebrew children, they said. And they took this baby and called it Moses because it was drawn up out of the water. And took that baby Moses, that Hebrew baby, and raised it as a child of Pharaoh's daughter. 
that means he was in line to inherit the throne of Egypt. Yeah. But that great hall of faith I preached from in Hebrews 11 says, By faith, Moses chose not to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but to endure the afflictions of God's people for a season. Not enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, but to endure the affliction and to be a, a person of God. And you know the story. One day he rose up against an Egyptian that was beating one of the Hebrews. And he slew him and hid him in the sand and left town because he was a murderer. He went to the land of Midian, met a man named Jethro, and started tending flocks for him. And while he was tending flocks for Jethro, he was out on the backside of Midian. It had been 40 years since he left. And now here he is, still mending or still tending sheep, and suddenly comes upon a burning bush, a fire. And out of that fire, there came a call, a call of God from the fire. And the fire called out to him and commissioned him to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Let my prized possession go. Let my people go. You see, there had already been a Savior that had been provided for the people of God. His name was Joseph. And Joseph, there's a son of Jacob, went down into Egypt and prepared them for this time so that all of them could eat. Egypt was blessed because the people of God were there. The United States of America is blessed because there are people of God that believe the Bible, that preach the Bible, that believe there's a God, that trust that there's a Savior named Jesus, and the United States of America is blessed because we're here. And there ought to be a Thanksgiving day for people that are Christians. Amen. Ought to be a Thanksgiving day where, where this country acknowledges, thank God some Christians are in this country. Amen. But one day, we're going to leave this country. Those eagle wings are going to come get us. Yeah, there's a trumpet going to sound, and eagle wings are going to bear us up. In Exodus 19, 3 and 4, Moses went up to God. Now, at this point, he has already led them out of Egypt. Already out. The plagues, the ten of them. Ten of them. How many plagues? Ten. How many commandments? Ten, you get the picture. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. Now, this is the first time God ever speaks to his people. Heretofore, he's talked to Moses. Heretofore, he's told Moses what to do, but now he's got a message for his people. Who are his people? His treasured possession. Who are his people? In that day when I make up my jewels, they shall be mine. God is saying something that I treasure, something that I value. And he's led them out of, out of Egypt. They've gone through the nesting period and they've pecked their way out now. And now here they are out in the wilderness and it's time to experience their destiny and find out where God is carrying them. He says, I'm going to carry you on eagle wings like an eagle carries its young, I'm going to carry you. 
And now here God is saying, Moses, I've got a message. Moses is on Sinai. Sinai. They've now been out of Israel. I believe the Bible said for three months. It's been three full moons since they left Egypt. That comes to about, I think, about 48 days, I believe it was, since they left. Now then, there is another meeting with God, and Moses is saying, God, what do you want me to tell them? I'm up here on this mountain. I've, I've, I've got this law from you, and I've got these Ten Commandments, and I've got these, these things that we've got to live by and, and, and things we've got to go by, and you said if we keep them, and if we keep these statutes, that we will be your prized possession and your treasured possession forever. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, Ye have seen what I did to the Egyptians. What's God saying? I need you to remember something. Remember what I have done for you. Remember where I brought you from. Remember how life has changed for you. Remember what you left down there in Egypt. You left bondage. You left ill treatment. You left uh, all kinds of slavery and, and imprisonment. You left all those bad things. Remember right now what I did for you when I brought you out of Egypt. Listen then. And how I bear you. Are you looking at that? Verse 4. How I bear you on eagle wings and I brought you unto myself. I brought you unto me. I delivered you, I carried you, and I brought you to me. Now get that picture now. I got you out of Egypt, I carried you, and I brought you to me. Jesus said, no math cometh unto the Father but by me. Whew. Boy, I'm going to preach here in a minute. No man brought you unto the Father but by me. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby you can come to the Father. There's no other way of salvation except my death on the cross of Calvary for you to get to the Father. God's will is always to gather his people and carry his people to deliver them, to heal them, to wash them, and to cleanse them, and to carry them to where God is. I'm going to bring you unto me. Praise God. That deserves a hand clap, I'll tell you. So with all these processes, John 15 talks about how the Lord prunes us and makes us to be grow up in God. And he said, Henceforth I will not call you servants, for a servant knoweth not what is Lord, but I will now call you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I've made known to you. It's a new dimension of grace. Grace is the means, and faith is the way that God carries you. I said, grace is the means, and faith is the way that God carries you. He dispenses faith immeasurably more than you can imagine. All is of faith that it might be by grace. God changes people like Paul, who was a blasphemer, who wasted the church beyond measure, and changes him into a great uh, apostle. He takes a man like Peter, who had faltering faith, and both Peter and Paul were called by different names after their conversion. 
Paul was called Saul before conversion. He was called Paul afterwards. Peter was called Simon, which means untrustworthy. But when he changed his name to Peter, he said, you'll be a rock, a rock that can be depended on. I like to tell you, when God says, you see, many people tend to know you because of what you used to be. But God says, I know you for who you are now through the regeneration of the Spirit and the washing of the blood of Jesus. In other words, God is saying, no matter what anybody else calls you, I consider you my prized possession. No matter what anybody else calls you or thinks of you or labels you or says about you or thinks of you, God said, don't ever forget. Don't forget Egypt where I brought you out. Don't forget all the process of carrying you. And don't forget that my ultimate intention is to bring you to me. He deals with us the same way that an eagle mother deals with her young. For that unborn eaglet, there has to be a power inside him to want to be different and want to be more. When Ashley was talking about God leading us to deeper depths and higher heights, that God's intention and God's will is to, to make us better. You see, what God empowers and strengthens and carries us with all kinds of mechanisms that he puts in place in our life that sometimes we think they are to do us harm or to do us ill, but God intends them to make us stronger because God knows what it's going to take to soar on eagle's wings. There are many people that fly far above all the difficulty and the hardship that's going on. They live by faith, and they have a joy and a peace and a contentment that is an abiding peace. They're, they're not frightened and fearful and frustrated. They're not all contorted about. They know in whom they have believed. They know where they're going, and they trust, and they believe God. And that's what God says, I only want you to trust me. All I want you to do is to trust me. Trust that whatever I say and whatever I lead, wherever I lead you, it will turn out for your good. Do you believe God will do you good? Do you believe God's Word is good for you? Do you believe God's way is the best way? Do you believe that what God says is true? When God gives you that information, and by faith, would you just take hold of the things of God and just say, I know in my heart that God is for me, not against me. I know that God said no good thing would he withhold from them that love him. I know that God has said that no evil shall come nigh thy dwelling. I know that God has said in every difficulty, if you'll call upon him in the day of trouble, he said, I will deliver you and thou shalt glorify me. He loves you and you're still his favorite no matter what you may think or others may say about you. You see, the one thing we must not do is get comfortable in the nest. If God deals with us like an eagle deals with her young, then we must not get so comfortable in the nest. You see, when that shell is broken, the mother eagle will crush it. She don't take it with her beak and pitch it out of the nest. She keeps it in the nest. She crushes it, pushes it down, 
covers it with some feathers, but it's still in the nest. Why does Mother Eaglet leave the leftovers of the shell you used to be enclosed in in the nest with you now? To remind you. To remind you of where he brought you from. Of what you used to be before he transformed you into a child of God. Where you used to be headed, what used to be your destiny before God changed your destiny. Is there anybody in this house that God has changed your destiny? Praise God. God has changed your destiny because he's changed your person, that you're no longer the person that you used to be. You don't have to hang your head in shame and disgrace because Jesus has given you something to look forward to. The Bible says, but now they desire a better country. That is a heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Amen. This world is not our home. The Bible said our citizenship is in heaven from whence we look for the Lord of glory. Our citizenship is in a heavenly kingdom, not an earthly kingdom. Oh, yes, I'm a citizen of the United States of America. That's exactly right. I'm going to vote Tuesday just like a good person should. That's a citizen. Yes. But I want you also to know there's a higher priority about who I am. More important that I'm a citizen of the United States is that I'm a citizen of a heavenly country, a new Jerusalem, that one day, hallelujah, is going to come down from God out of heaven, that God is going to change everything one of these days. And the governments of this world, the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God. Our God's kingdom will survive. This is not that. I've told you that so many times. This is not that. You may be stuck in a crazy lifestyle, but this is not that. Maybe stuck in a terrible marriage, but this is not that. Maybe going through a struggle financially, but this is not that. You may be struggling with kids and all their hang-ups, but God will get me to a better place because this is not that. I may be going through hard times with sickness and my health, but the Lord will help me because this is not that. I may have been laid off from work and don't have a job, but the Lord will provide because this is not that. Joseph may be entrapped in a dungeon prison, but he knew this was not that. God had a greater plan and a greater purpose for him. David may have been stuck in a cave in Getty, running like a fugitive, but he knew that this is not that. Daniel may be enthroned in a lion's den, but he knew that it was not the end of him because this is not that. Jonah may have been stuck in a whale's belly, but he knew this is not that. Peter and John, <laughs> glory to God, may have been beaten for reaching down and saying to a paraplegic, rise up and walk and thrown in jail, but they knew that the suffering and the jailhouse bars were not going to defeat the purpose of God because they knew this is not that. <laughs> Romans 8. And 18 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be mentioned compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Oh, this, beloved, don't fall in love with this and miss out on that. Don't fall in love with the nest and fall in love with this present thing and lose sight of what God has prepared for them that love him. When he was talking about going to be in the presence of God and having fellowship with, with Him, that means that we who are filthy and we who are estranged, we who are fallen, 
have to have some kind of a transition before we can get to God. You know what God said to him, Carlos, when he told Moses to tell the people, I want you to come up to the mountain. I want you to bring the people out here, bring them to this mountain. And God said, but first, before they come, tell them to take a bath and wash their clothes. What? God said, tell them before they come to the mountain to meet with me, to bathe themselves and wash their clothes. Why in the world did they need to wash their clothes? Well, they'd been wandering around for three months in a wilderness. And they're like that corpse that Jesus saw in Bethany, by now they stinketh. Somebody said, cleanliness is next to godliness. It's not in the Bible, like a lot of folks say it is. It's not a, but it could be, because it's good. I can take several verses that say the same thing, but it doesn't say that in actuality, cleanliness is next to godliness. But it's a good saying. But what it does say is this, that God is a holy God. And that before we can come into His presence, there has to be a cleansing and there has to be a washing away of the things that make us dirty. Dirty people can never draw nigh to God. But God can draw near to dirty people. Did you get that? Dirty people can't draw nigh to God. But God can draw nigh to dirty people. Boy, I felt like shouting when I said that. Why is that, Pastor? Because the fact that God would want to fool with me when I'm dirty. The fact that God would desire me when I'm filthy. The fact that God would want to fellowship with me, to have me, to embrace me, to hug me like the father of the prodigal son. When Jesus told that story, he said the father, while the kid still stunk with the hog pen on him before he'd ever cleaned up yet the father while he was still in a mess the father came to him and embraced him and hugged him and fell on his neck wow and Jesus was telling that story about God's attitude no dirty people can't come to God but God can come to dirty people and when God comes to dirty people he tells you a way that you can be cleansed of your dirtiness. When God saw this problem, this was a problem, a problem that God himself had to solve because there was nothing I could do to solve or offer as a solution to my problem. The Bible said I was depraved, I was lost. The Bible says I was hopeless and without God in this world. Can you get that picture? Can you get a picture of a person lost and in darkness, alienated, the Bible said, a stranger, lost, having no hope and without God? And God looked at that pitiful, pitiful creation and loved it.
God loved me when I was still filthy. God desired me when I was not fit. God came to me when I wasn't worthy. Romans 5 and 8 says this, But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You mean when I was unlovely, He loved me? You mean that when I was disobedient, when I was rebellious, when I was lost, when I was hopeless without hope, He came to me? Woo. Boy, strange that we don't shout about that. My Lord, that's one of the great things that should incite us, that God's love was commended toward us. That while we were yet sinners, and the Bible said when we were lost in wrath, the children were the children of wrath, even as others. The Bible said, but God, who is rich in mercy, wherewith he loved us, even while we were dead in trespasses and in sin. Have you ever seen anything dead that didn't stink? You mean God loved me even when I was, had no life in myself, when I was dead in trespasses and in sin? And listen at the next verse. And hath quickened us. God took me when I was dead and resurrected me and made me alive he quickened me while I was dead in trespasses and in sin, and he quickened me, and he raised me up with Christ. Raised me up with Christ. And he said, I've got a special seat for you to sit in and made me to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I've got a seat for you. It's with people that have been washed. It's with people. When Paul went through that great list of people that were lost, he said, adulterers, liars, whoremongers. He said, of such were some of you. Of such were some of you, but you were washed. Glory to God. Do you want to sit together in heavenly places with the washed ones? Do you want to be with the regenerated ones? Do you want to take your seat in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus? Do you want to sit where Jesus sits? Do you want to be in the presence of Jesus? Do you want to have that joy of sins forgiven? Do you want to have all that fear of death and hell and the grave just taken away and blotted away? What a wonderful place to sit. How did Psalm 1 go? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the path of sinners or sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Wow. 
walking, standing, sitting. Walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Did you see that progression? Walking, standing, sitting. God does it right the opposite. He finds you when you're sitting. He quickens you and gets you up. Gets you to standing. And then He gets you to walking. And then He says, walk in the light as He is in the light. And we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. He says, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of your flesh. He says, walk in the strength and the power of the Almighty. He says, walk that walk. Amen. Get started on that journey. Praise God. Right the opposite of what the devil. The devil wants to sit you, sitting on the sidelines in the seat of the scorner, scorning everybody and everything else. God wants you to get you out of that seat and get you standing up in faith, and get you marching in the spirit and life of Christ. Hallelujah. He's going to have a people. He said, I'm going to redeem you unto myself. When God comes down, I think that's what you called a move of God a while ago, didn't you? When God comes down, he gives people permission to come up on the mountain. But Moses tried that. Did you see what Moses, Moses tried to be a mediator? You see it in here? And the Bible said, Moses, in verse 3, he goes up to the mountain. In verse 7, Moses goes down the mountain. Verse 8, Moses goes up the mountain. Verse 14, Moses comes down the mountain. Verse 20, Moses goes up the mountain. Verse 21, Moses goes down the mountain. What you got here, I've got a man going up and down the mountain, but he can't ever get the job done. I've got a man trying to help people be the people of God, and so he makes a lot of attempts at it. He makes three trips up and down that mountain trying to negotiate and be a mediator. A mediator is one who makes friends out of people who were formerly enemies. A mediator is one who brings peace to a volatile situation. And Moses is trying to get God and men together. He's trying his best to put together some solution. And so he just keeps going back and forth from the people to God, back and forth. And he finally comes to the truth of the matter. And he says, I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not going to be able to get this done. Because I don't have the power to change these people. I don't have the power. Well, you see, every time Moses would be disappointed with those people, every time God would give them new commandments, in fact, in verse 6, the Bible said that the people agreed to keep the statutes and the commandments of God. But by the time you get to the 32nd verse, they've already made them a calf and started worshiping a calf. So what Moses came to realize, we can make all of these laws that we want to make, but all that we're ever going to find out at this mountain is that we can't do what that law is expecting us to do. We're not going to be able 
to succeed at being perfect by right righteousness, works righteousness. We're never going to achieve righteousness by working it out ourselves. Never going to get there. And so the Bible said that Moses talked to God about that, that matter. And God then informed Moses and assured Moses that I've already in my, my wisdom worked this out. And the way God worked it out was God said, I've got another Savior. I've got another Savior. You, you tried so hard to help people become the people of God, but you just couldn't do it because I can never bring to them. They came to the mountain and they said, oh, we can't go up there. No, we, we can't keep these, we can't do this. Moses, you go up there and see what he says and come back down here and tell us what he says. And Moses said, Lord, is there ever going to be a way? Is there ever going to be a solution? Is there ever going to be some kind of a mediator, a mediation between the people of God and God? How are we going to get that done? And the Bible said in the fullness of time, God sent his son. No one else could do it. No one else could accomplish a solution. No one else could figure out a way that sinful flesh could dwell in the presence of a holy God. And the only way was that Jesus was made to be sin for us. Who knew no sin, neither was there any guile found in his mouth. There was only one person that could keep those ten laws. There was only one person that had never been spotted by the blotching of sin, and his name is Jesus. And the Bible said he came to this earth. The Bible said he condescended. He came down from his throne, left his throne in glory. He was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. And when Jesus became a baby in Bethlehem's manger, God gave the greatest gift of all of history to people that could become the people of God. Not by law-keeping, not by ritual, not by ceremonial deeds, not by incantations, not by refractories or anything of that kind. But by the precious blood of Jesus, he has washed our sins away. Made to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And oh, I'll bring this to a close. One day soon, there's going to come a time when the Bible said a trumpet's going to sound. Moses said, when the trumpet sounds, tell the people it's time to go to the mountain. They couldn't go up that mountain. But praise God, there's coming a time when the trumpet's going to sound. And when that trumpet sounds, the Bible said, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. 
and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So shall we ever be in his presence. So shall we ever be where he is. So what he intended that you come to him, he will accomplish one day. And I'm looking forward to that day when we go to be with him, aren't you? I'm looking forward to that time. Stand with me, please. Well, when Moses stood by that bush at the first of this sermon, a fire in a bush spoke to him. So the call to be the people of God came from a fire. There was a pillar, Brother Don, a pillar of fire, and it led the people. And they said, when the fire moves, you move. Follow the fire. The fire kept them warm. The fire provided for them and protected them, and it led them and directed them. And then, thirdly, the Bible said, when they got to the mountain, the mountain was full of fire. Full of fire. Hebrews says, for our God is a consuming fire. They were called out of a fire, carried by a fire, and taken to a fire. So when you say, I want a move of God, what you're saying is, I want the fire of God to fall. Faye, you're old enough to remember this. They used to sing a song when I was a Pentecostal kid. Let it fall on me. Let it fall on me. Let the fire of the Lord from heaven fall on me. The fire that fell at Pentecost. Glory. Let the fire from heaven fall on me. Brother, if you want to be a child of God, you get around where the fire is. You get around where some people are fervent in praying, fervent in singing, fervent in preaching, fervent about their walk with God. What does that mean? It means hot. It means hot. And when God talks about churches that aren't what he wants them to be, what does he call them? Uh-oh, time to end this sermon, isn't it? He calls them cold. He calls them lukewarm. And God says, you can't come to me if you're lukewarm. He said, because I will spew you out of my mouth. So then if we want God to dwell with us in his presence, then we've got to be intense and fervent in our worship, fervent in our preaching, fervent in our praying, fervent in our singing, fervent, serious, dedicated, committed. And God said, for the Father seeketh such. God's looking for people like that. And I think in these days, just prior to his return, I believe what a value and a treasure it is for a church to have the power of Pentecost in their church, to have the fire of Pentecost, and to be, as we used to say, on fire for God. You remember that old saying? How long has it been since you heard that? On fire for God. Boy, I'd like to pastor a church that's on fire for God. I'd like to have a staff that's on fire for God. I'd like to have a music praise team that's on fire for God. 
because I believe that's what it's going to take. Thank you, God. 30 seconds. Best praise you got. Come on. Best praise you got. Bless your name. Bless your name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. God, we thank you for allowing us to be in this house of worship today. And I thank you for telling us in your word that you desire a people. Lord, help Harvest to be in that number of the people of God. Oh, Lord, you said that there are angels that are rejoicing in your presence right now. You said that there's a book that's open in heaven right now with the names of all the redeemed. When I transfer people's membership from this church, when I do their funeral, I tell people their names are being placed upon a, a book in heaven, and it's called the Lamb's Book of Life. Hallelujah. And that church that is already assembled there is called the General Assembly of the Firstborn, the Church of the Firstborn in Heaven. God, I pray, O oh Lord, today that you'd help every one of us to live in such a way that our names will appear in that book. Thank you, God, for this service. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the anointing of God. Go with us from this place and help us, Lord, to go out into this world, this community, and be light and salt. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you and God go with you is our prayer.